With what we ought to know and what we should be doing, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. I want you to know the last days are right now. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to throw your hands up and go, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's happening in our country? What's happening in our culture? What's happening? Exactly what God said would happen. And what kind of men and women ought we to be as the coming of the Lord draws near? The Bible says that when you see this stuff happening, that this is the time to jump in and love and care. Everyone hurting. Everyone. This is amazing grace. It's not hard to see. People all around are hurting, and there's no shortage of those who need the Lord's comfort and care. What an open door, as we'll hear today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We've been using these broadcasts of late to remind ourselves of the hope we have for ourselves and to share with others, even for someone like Matthew, the tax collector. Here now with part two of our message, We Hope in Your Word, is Pastor Ed. Matthew, he wasn't allowed to be in the temple. He wasn't allowed to be a part of worship. There's a very good chance that his family turned their back on him. There's a very good chance that he felt isolated and alone, being termed a traitor and a thief. A thief. Now, why would he be considered a thief? Well, the way taxes were collected in the first century is that the agents, like Matthew, would be given authority over an area, and they would be responsible to collect what you owed to Rome. So that you owed, a, you owed a certain sum to Rome, they would take that. But they were also given authority to get as much as they could from you. So they would take a little bit more or a lot more, depending on your personality type, above and beyond what Rome required. And they would take what was required to Rome and give it to Rome, and they would keep the rest. So you could see they weren't a very popular guy. So when it has Matthew here at his office doing his job, you have to understand that his job was aligned with robbers, murderers, tax collectors, that's culturally, and then from the religious side of things, they were just worthless, irredeemable sinners. And that was their perspective. Just hopeless. No hope for Matthew. He has chosen his path in life. He's turned against us. He's aligned himself with the government. He's, he's hopeless. Robbers, murderers, tax collectors. But you see, Jesus saw him sitting at the tax office, verse 27, and he spoke to him and he said to him, follow me. The greatest thing that ever happened to Matthew in his life I don't want you to miss this, okay? This is an application for us to grow in. The greatest thing that happened to Matthew in his life happened at the office. It happened at work. See, many times the way that we're kind of ingrained is you really don't like work and you're tired of work and it's oppressive and it's hard. You don't get paid enough and you're just so upset about work. But God is ready to use you at work. And maybe not for you, but for someone else, the greatest day of their life is going to happen in your office. Your office. And you may be a part of it. 
I remember in, as a new believer when I was working, I worked in an ambulance industry for many years and, and I worked as a dispatcher. So I was in the main office and I interfaced with everyone in the company because they all had to come to the office, always coming to the office, getting their slips and getting their info and coming. They were always there. So I got to interface with all of them. Not only that, we were all young back then and we spent a lot of time together partying. So we would spend a lot of time after work, before work, on the weekends, on our vacations, doing a lot of stuff together. And then I got saved and things changed for me. Didn't change for everyone else, but they changed for me. My life radically changed. But I still have people coming in and out, still got all those friends, but now I've got a Bible open on the desk. I've got, I've got commentaries open. I have permission. I could read the Bible when the phones weren't ringing, and so I had. And I remember a lot of people were upset, a lot of people making fun of me, a lot of people calling me names, except for this guy named Joe. And Joe was already a neat guy. Like he was already a real upstanding moral guy, kind of somebody I would look to to pattern my life after because as a husband and as a dad at that time, I didn't have anyone to pattern my life. I was just, I was lost as lost could be. Then I get saved. Joe comes in and what does Joe do when he sees the Bible? He starts asking me questions. Hey, what are you reading? And why are you reading the Bible? And well, weren't you just such and such two weeks ago? And those kind of conversations came up. And I remember the day I had the privilege of leading Joe in a prayer where he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. The best day of Joe's life happened at that little office that we worked in. And I had the privilege over time to lead a couple more people to the Lord. Uh, most people, you know, it was just seed planting and watering. But for some, I got to be a part of the best day of their life. And it happened at the office. And I want to encourage you, wherever God has placed you, he's placed you so that you might be a part of the best day of someone's life. Right there. And I know it's hard, and I know it's difficult, and I know it's challenging, but like Matthew, here he is. God has changed his life right there. Because you know, nobody really would come to him that wanted to talk to him. I'm sure Matthew was a lonely man. He couldn't be at the synagogue. He couldn't be a welcomed guest. Because of his life choices, he was surrounded by a rough crowd doing a lot of rough things. But maybe, just maybe, this was the day. Maybe, just maybe, he was considering his life. Because that's the thing about people. We don't know their hearts. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, we see their behavior. By the time it comes out in their behavior, it can be very difficult to see and to watch and to hear. But we don't know their hearts. We don't know what's going on when they lay their head down on the pillow. We don't know what's happening, that, that they're crying out for meaning and purpose and they're wondering what God, what, what's going to happen to their life and what's the direction of their life. And here at this time, Jesus shows up and says, come follow me. And whatever was going on in Matthew, he was ready because in verse 28 it says, he left all, rose up, and followed him. Again, this was a complete call to turn your back on everything. And that's what he did. It's one of the reasons why we do open altar calls here. Because many times people will say, oh, Ed, you know, why do you do altar calls? Why do you invite people to come? Hey, because every time you watch Jesus call people to follow him, it was public. And if it's not going to be public here, it's going to be public there. Like your relationship with Jesus Christ is not a private matter. It is a public matter. It is to be shouted from the rooftops of the great work that God has done in your life. So I say, why not start it here? Why not give an opportunity in a public way to commit your life to Jesus Christ, which is what I'm going to do in just a few moments. You're here, you're watching online, you're listening on Grace FM right now, and you're, you're maybe on a radio station that this be broadcast like so many more years later. But God has got your attention right now. 
He's been speaking to you right now. And you recognize that you are separate from God. Separate, like you're not living for God. You might say you're a Christian, you were growing up in a Christian home, you, you can say you read the Bible, but of everyone that knows you, you know that it's not real. You know that it's just going through the motions. And you know that you don't have a real relationship with God. Well, God says to you today, I love you in all of your current condition. I want you to get up and follow Jesus Christ. And in just a few moments, you're going to have a chance to do just that. But here's an example. Matthew had to visibly show because of his decision that he was turning his back on his previous life. And notice what he does next. Verse 29. This is so cool. It says, Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. This was probably a going away party. You know, it was a feast given in honor of Jesus. I have a new life, Messiah, Savior, dedicating my life. But it would be the last time, really, that any of these folks, it would be like that last time to share the changed life. This is my new life. I'm not collecting taxes anymore. I have found what we've been waiting for. <laughs> be the last time these guys would even want to hang out with him. And here he is, throwing a party. And I, I love that how Luke says in verse 29, they were tax collectors. We know those are bad people. But then he says, others. Others. Now, that word others is actually a bunch of people like the tax collectors. Outcasts, sinners, not wanting to be connected with God in any way, pretending to be. Like others, well, we know what it means. We know it wasn't just family and friends. We know that this was a rough crowd because of the scribes and the Pharisees. Look at verse 30. The scribes and the Pharisees, if you want to think of, these would be religious people. These would be people you probably would be friends with, you'd probably trust. Scribes and Pharisees would be in a level of high spiritual leadership. They would be considered today the pastors, the elders of a church. These would be people you respect, people you look up to, people you would follow. And notice what they see. They murmured against the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? That's who they see. Why do you eat and drink? Why are you hanging out? Why are you in the house of Matthew? Why are you there? Now understand Jesus and the disciples being in the house of Matthew, being in the house with these folks, they're not participating in whatever's going on there that might be sinful. They're not acting like sinners. I think that they're fulfilling what Paul would say later. As Paul said, you know what? I'm going to become all things to all men. Why? So that I might win the more. I'm going to adapt my approach. I'm going to listen and be empathetic. So that I might be a tool to be used in their lives. I'm not going to be the scribes and the Pharisees that are pointing the finger and saying, why are you with sinners? What's your problem? What are you doing there? I think today, and this is what's sad, and I pray that it, it's taken in a way that you can take this to the Lord. But I don't think the question today for the church, our church, any church is, why do you eat with sinners and tax collectors? I think the question has actually become this. Why aren't you? eating with sinners and tax collectors. Church, why aren't you interfacing with people that have never darkened the door of a church? Why aren't you sharing the love of Jesus with your family and your friends? And why aren't we? The church has been put on the earth, as you well know, to scatter throughout society. 
to be at the office. You have access to people I would never. You'd say, oh, you know, go ahead. You can listen to our pastor. He teaches. They would never turn on the radio, but they listen to you. And you send them a link about, well, you should listen to this Bible study. As soon as they find out it's some pastor guy, they're like, no, I don't have time for that. But you're the pastor guy and the pastor gal in in their life. Why aren't we interfacing more? Why are we so like the scribes and the Pharisees with critical spirits? You know, that's what a critical spirit does. Just finds fault. You know, when you have a critical spirit, you can't see anything positive. Everything is tainted by some hyper judgmental mindset. And you're forgetting about the grace of God in your life. You see, in Jesus' day, sinners love to be around him. They love to hear from him. The Bible says that even the common people heard him gladly. They came back for more. People love to eat with him, hang out with him, spend time with him, because he would just love them. He, he would tell them about heaven. That he would talk about his father in heaven. He wouldn't rail on them. He wouldn't preach at them. He would just share the truth in love. And they could feel it. And they could receive it. Oh, it's not that you would ever shy away from the truth. You see, Matthew would have never invited him into his house unless he met Jesus in truth. And he knew he needed a change. He knew he needed to repent. But then there's the scribes and Pharisees. The religious people. The religious people. We want to be careful. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to save souls. He came to rescue us, which he did. He came because of his blood to redeem us from ourselves. It says with these guys, but the scribes and the Pharisees murmured. And they asked the question. Then notice Jesus' answer in verse 31. Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you and I are always faced with a choice of how to interface with this culture. Jesus entered into a hostile culture too. And lest you ever forget, the culture that Jesus walked into tortured and crucified him. That was his reward for stepping into the sinful mess of people, for reaching out to people that the religious didn't want anything to do with, for sitting down and eating. Remember, in Middle Eastern culture, when you share a meal with someone, that's about as close as you can get to them. All the meals were family style. So you'd pass it around, you'd give this, you'd take a piece of the bread, then you'd pass the bread, they'd take a piece, and it it was perceived as you were sharing in true fellowship what we would call today in the New Testament, true koinonia. And you can see over and over again in the New Testament that meals were used as a tool to draw people together. And Jesus wasn't afraid to call sinners his friends. Now, of course, there's the level, there's a balance in the scriptures, no doubt, that evil company corrupts good habits. So you and I, we need to walk into these things wisely and carefully and spiritually for sure. But I find that it's much easier to be critical, and to point the finger at things that are obvious. When you see the things approaching, you see the day approaching, you see, like on on Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Daniel, and we're looking at verse by verse what the Bible has to say about the last days. 
Just in case, I'm just feeling like, just in case our church didn't understand, I have a responsibility. I'm going to stand before God one day. And I wonder if God, and I've talked through these passages again, but I know the church changes and people come and go. And I want you to know the last days are what they look like right now. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to throw your hands up and go, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's happening in our country? What's happening in our culture? What's happening? Exactly what God said would happen. That's what's happening. Exactly what God said would happen. And what kind of men and women ought we to be as the coming of the Lord draws near? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when you see this stuff happening, that this is the time to jump in and love and care. Everyone that's hurting. Everyone. Every group. Because if you look at it, every one of us, as you're, you're looking at all the, there's this group that's hurting, this group that's hurting, this group that's hurting. It's like every group is hurting and the gospel ministers to every group. It's the hope that comes from the word of God. As I open the Bible, I can't help but go, you know, there's hope, there's hope, there's hope. Every time I turn the page, oh, I'm in, I'm in the Psalms, there's hope. Oh, there's Isaiah, I, there's hope. Jeremiah, there's hope. Revelation, there's hope. And there was something about Jesus. And by the way, remember, Jesus Christ dwells in you by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to copy him. You just surrender to him. You begin to see people the way. What did Paul say? Let this mind be in you, which was in also in Christ Jesus. And that what was his mind? He made decisions to take the place of a servant. He made a decision to take the place of humility. He made the decision to go down, not to try to elevate himself over others. And I've just found that people are not threatened when you come to serve them and care for them. There's not a threatening posture that's taken. No, you know who despised Jesus? Religious people. And may God protect us from becoming religious. Religious, you know, can have a good connotation to it. James would use that word, good religion, is ministering to widows and orphans. So religion in itself can be good. It can represent your relationship with God. But it can be very bad. A religious person can be going through the motions and trying to cross all the T's and dot all the I's and forget that they're talking to a person. That what we're seeing is our people. What people need is the gospel, not our opinions. And I wonder, I wonder if as the church in salt and light, if we're like the scribes and the Pharisees, when we see something, we're so quick to criticize it. We're so quick to throw our opinions in. We'll, we'll welcome the religious people that think like us, but we'll despise the hurting people. And we'll exclude the sick. And we'll walk past those that are on the street, those that are struggling, those that we deem sinners. When in reality, the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. There isn't an innocent one among us. We have all failed. We've all fallen short. And many of us gathered together today have experienced the forgiveness of God. I hope and pray that unbelievers can relate to us, that they'll listen to us. I hope they don't see a holier-than-thou attitude because we think we have it figured out or we forgot how many years that God has restored into our life. We forgot the restoring, reconciling, rebuilding work of God in our lives that he wants to do in someone else's life, truly carefully, like a great physician, he comes to take care of sick. He comes to take care of the sick. I pray that there is in us as a church family 
a Jesus attraction to us because people love to be around Jesus. And yet folks like the Pharisees, the self-righteous, they don't have any good news. They're always trying to fix people, change people, mold people into their own image, always looking at the outside. But like Matthew, who would have known that that was the day that he was ready to surrender his life? Who would have known that that was the day that he was willing to leave everything that he valued? He built his whole career, his whole life, everything up to that point, he turned his back on. Why? Because the captivating love of Jesus Christ called him. Who would have known that? It wasn't like he had a sign on his desk. I'm ready. Somebody asked me to follow Jesus. Would somebody please tell me about it? Nobody knew but God. And so when you shift your thinking about where you work, where you live, you shift your thinking about all the groups that society tries to make you not like and don't like this group and don't like that group and be where... Listen, every group is loved by God and every sinner can apply the blood of Jesus Christ upon their lives and be saved. Everyone, including you. And I love this about Jesus. He goes to the party and then he's loving, hanging out with the people, but he's also strongly reminding these leaders. Because you think, what about the religious leaders? You know, those are the only people that Jesus is really strong at. And you know as well as I do, it says later on in the scriptures that many of them also believed. So he wasn't just like super being critical so that he can push them away. He was giving them what they needed. You guys think you have it all right. But I'm telling you, remember in the beginning of Jesus' teaching, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Listen, whatever you've heard said, you want to pay attention, dismiss that to pay attention to what Jesus says. Because he's going to lead you in a countercultural way. And he's going to lead you in a counterintuitive way. He's going to lead you into places and into situations that you may not have ever been in before. But he'll lead you there because he wants to show up there through your life, through your care and concern. And I pray that there's an attraction and that as you begin to lose hope and as hope begins to dissipate in your life, and you throw up your hands and you go, I can't believe what's happening in our country and in our city. And our, I can't believe what's happening. And you start to get frustrated and angry yourself. I hope you come back to the word where the psalmist said, I know all this stuff's going on in my life. And remember the psalmist, his name was David. He had his own issues. He had the king of Israel come after him for years, chase him throughout the deserts for years trying to kill him. He had people betraying him when he became king. He had his own sinful issues with his bad decisions of adultery and murder. Like David, when he writes in the Psalms, he knows, I hope in your word, Lord. Because everything changes around us, but God's word doesn't change. Amen? Pastor Ed Taylor on the hope we have in the Lord and his word. We also have hope because of God's love. That'll be our focus next time on Abounding Grace. We're in a series called Hope is Contagious. We'd like to ask that you do us a favor and share these messages with a friend or family member that could use some hope today. Just stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com, and under our quick links, you'll find our archives. You can also suggest listing by podcast or through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Rogop. Some would describe the year 2020 as one of the darkest seasons of life, but we're not left alone. God is wanting to help and hear from us. 
You'll discover it's okay to grieve and struggle at such times, but it's important to reach into God's reservoir of grace and mercy. As you read this wonderful book, watch your worship and trust in God grow. Again, we'll send you a copy today when you support the ministry with a gift of $25 or more. Call 877-30-GRACE, and we'll drop that in the mail right away. Please keep in mind, it's your generosity that helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us to make that possible. Call 877-30-GRACE or donate online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Ed Taylor is the pastor of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. And whether you live many miles away from us or you're not quite ready to go out in public due to COVID-19, you can always watch our services live online. We have a Saturday evening service at 6 and two services on Sunday mornings at 845 and 1045. And you can also view the Wednesday service at 7 p.m. Get more information or watch our services online at calvaryco.church. We're also on YouTube, and the live stream is available through our app. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time when we'll again learn that hope is contagious. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.